Welcome to the Hormone Lifestyle Zone. I'm your host, Meg Ricci. And this podcast series is about demystifying women's hormonal issues and struggles. The title of today's podcast, Navigating Menopause with Bioidentical Hormones and Lifestyle Medicine. And today's guest is Kim Richardson. He's the owner and head pharmacist of Pitt Street Pharmacy in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. So Kim is going to join me in just a few moments. But I just want to talk about the conversation that we're going to have today. And I want to also, Kim is going to elaborate more on this, but the theme is how can women um, utilize bioidenticals as a transition through perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause? And how can bioidenticals enhance the quality of a woman's life? Now, another really big piece of this equation is about addressing the hormonal changes during this phase in a woman's life and looking at the variety of lifestyle factors. And these factors are the same ones that I look at and I address during all phases of a woman's cycle, whether she is dealing with... um, PMS in her teens or her 20s, or maybe she's having heavy periods or acne, I'm still going to look at the same lifestyle markers. Whether she has unexplained infertility or is experiencing depression and anxiety, I look at the same lifestyle markers. And when she is starting to transition through perimenopause, I look at those same markers. And what I'm looking at is diet, nutrition, are these individuals, are these women on the standard American diet? Because it's a highly processed diet that fuels hormonal chaos. And the biggest endocrine disruptor is sugar. It disrupts the way your hormones are metabolized in your bloodstream. And that just doesn't mean sugar in your tea or your coffee or your candy. It's refined carbs. It's breads, bagels, cookies, pretzels, pasta. So we really need to take a look at that because it can have a negative influence on blood sugar and insulin, in turn impacting progesterone and estrogen. Because when your blood sugar dips and dives, you're actually shunting progesterone down stress pathways, competing with cortisol, and also is the precursor to cortisol. So you have this crazy kind of hormonal dance going on. Another aspect I always look at is the gut and the microbiome. How are you digesting your your food? How are you assimilating and how are you eliminating? Because your microbiome influences how well you detox estrogen. So for example, if you're constipated and you have elevated levels of an enzyme called beta-glucuronidase, it's going to block proper elimination of estrogen via the bowels. And you're going to reabsorb this and putting you at risk for breast cancer and us other estrogen-related cancers. And 82% of breast cancer occurs after the age of 50. So looking at the microbiome, I want to make sure that you have healthy amounts of good flora in the gut that influences the detoxification of bad estrogens. I cannot emphasize this enough, and Kim and I will go through this further. 
I want to look at how well you're detoxing. Your liver is like the filter in the pool. It has so much to do with detoxification and methylation of hormones and your blood sugar and your conversion of thyroid hormones. It's a really important to make sure that phase one and phase two of liver detoxification is working magnificently. And I look at sleep quality and stress management. I mean, how are we coping with stress? If we're not getting enough sleep, there's a good chance that you're going to have elevated cortisol and insulin levels. And if you're not getting, if you're not getting enough sleep, then you're not going to really be able to cope with everyday stress during the day. And I also look at how are we moving and exercising? That's such an important way to deal with lowering cortisol and detoxing hormones. And something that I think is super important and maybe one of the most important things, how much fun are you having in your life? Where is the joy? Because I've brought this up before, your uterus is the small heart. So how are you engaging the big heart in your life? What are you doing that is for you, that is romancing you, that is taking you through a different phase in your life? I love, I remember when I had my period and I had my last cycle, I was really upset. I loved having a cycle. But I noticed something really beautiful about that transition is that I started coming into my own in a way, and I think what's kind of funny about it is that I started letting go of a lot of filters. I started really speaking up for myself and telling my truth. And I think that's important for women. So it's a time of celebration, of giving birth to yourself in a new way. And this also, um, it's important to know that Aside from this, this transitional period starts in your mid-30s and can go into your 40s. I remember I had um, a healer that I had gone to years ago, and I, when I was 40 years old, she said to me, you know, this is a time where it's a battle of the ego and it's the destiny of the soul. So again, it is a time of spiritual and also biochemical transition in your life. And many women will start experiencing a shift in their hormones and their emotions and menstrual cycle during this time of menopause because there's also a decline, a gradual decline for many of lowering of progesterone, estrogen, and testosterone. So a lot of women may start experiencing a change in their mood, lowering of libido, a big thing that I see initially is anxiety. And that I feel a lot of that anxiety initially is, is due to a lowering of progesterone. I see a lot of difficulty with sleep, irregular periods. Um, sometimes people just lose that joie de vie. There's, there's a certain flatness that they start experiencing as their hormones uh, start to decline. I see a lot of breast tenderness and hot flashes and night sweats. So. My feeling is, and what I always try to do with women, when you improve a woman's overall health, you're improving the integrity of her hormones, bringing her back to a place of balance. And by looking at these underlying issues that can be contributing and amplifying the symptoms that women experience during this time of perimenopause, because I think it's about being a de detective and uncovering and unraveling why a woman's hormones are experiencing imbalance. 
So at this time, Kim, I want to welcome you to the show. Thank you, Meg. It's great to be here and beautifully um, said. Uh, it's um, I brought my sleeping bag, by the way, because you and I could be talking about all the things that you just <laughs> spoke about for days on end. Uh, you touched on so many important things, and I know we're going to try to be specific today about bioidentical hormone mm-hmm. replacement, but you are hitting so many of the really important phases that I think uh, not only do patients not know about, but a lot of times physicians kind of uh, lose sight of the, of the whole picture of, of the patient. Um, so we see it all the time in our pharmacy practice, and I'm just one of the lucky ones that uh, 20 years ago I decided to get involved in compounding and in the actually making medications that were not commercially available. And bioidentical hormone replacement for women Uh, going through menopause was just a huge and still is just a huge market for it. And I I, I have just continued to do it through these past 20 years. And I can tell you that my enthusiasm for it has continued to just grow because never in my pharmacy life of over 40 years, um, when I was dispensing blood pressure medicines to people, Uh, or pain medicines to people, they never said thank you. But if you can change a woman's basic physiology when her physiology is just out of whack because of perimenopause or menopause, it changes her entire life, not just her life, but it impacts everybody around her in the family. And when that happens and you can make a positive impact in that regard, it... I've had women come back and hug me, send me flowers. Their husbands come in to pick up their prescriptions for them, and they say, I don't know what you're giving my wife, but please keep giving it to her. She's back to being her old self again. Really great things to to hear as a practitioner. So we hope that we're on the right track. We think we're on the right track for helping these women not just feel better and, and get through menopause, but just like you alluded to earlier, it's it's about that quality of life. And yes. it's about what we can do later on to protect her from some of the bad things that are going to come. Well, I see it even in my family. And I have a, a sister and sister-in-law that are like, super hesitant about using bioidenticals because they're concerned about the estrogen. Mm -hmm. So I would really love you to explain the safety Mm -hmm. and how, you know, you, you know, coupling it with progesterone and other things, it's not going to send them down that path of being at risk for breast cancer. It is not. Yeah. And let's demystify this hormone thing that's out there because, uh, and I wish they, they did a better job actually of teaching medical students this in medical school, but they still don't. So if you mention the word hormones in this country, Every, almost every practitioner, every physician out there will automatically think, oh, there's so many risks. There are too many risks involved. Well, the reason they think about that is because the only hormones we've ever studied in this country 
were synthetic hormones. We did the Women's Health Initiative study back in the late 1998, uh, early 2000s, a huge study that that Wyeth Ayers, the company who made the drug, Primrin and Provera combined it together to make a drug called Primpro. They thought they had created the, the next best thing to slice bread. So they talked the government into helping them do some study data with it, knowing they were going to get these great, great effects. It was supposed to be an 18-year-long study. Well, the, turn of the fact of the matter is they had to shut the study arm down after five years because right. the women they were giving these hormones to had an increased risk of heart attack and stroke and an increased risk of breast cancer. And the reason for it was because these were synthetic hormones. They are there were nothing like the hormones that the good Lord put in our bodies when we were born. The estrogens that we were accustomed to giving women for nearly 30 years were derived from the urine of pregnant horses. Yes, great. And don't they have 32 estrogens? They have 32 specific estrogens. And we only have three. Exactly. So if you're a horse and you need estrogen, primarin was a really a good choice, but not for a woman. And then the progesterone side of the house is still being so confused nowadays because even most of the literature that you will read today, it, it will rarely ever say the word progesterone. It will say progestin. And progestin is a catch-all word which really has no meaning whatsoever. You don't know if they're talking about a bioidentical progesterone like the one in our body or they're talking about a synthetic type of progesterone that's called progestin that has a huge, huge detrimental effect to women. And when they did the Women's Health Initiative study, it was really probably that progestin arm of it, more so maybe than even the estrogen part from the horses that created such a bad, bad reputation. Are you familiar with Dr. Sarah Gottfried? Oh, I love her. Oh, she's amazing. She's um, a gynecologist, functional medicine, best-selling author. And one time I heard her say in a podcast or I read an article, she said the only people that should be given progestin are sex offenders. I agree. Because it just destroys your libido. Absolutely. Not only that, it increases your risk of heart attack and stroke yes, and breast yes, cancer. I mean, yes. that the studies just absolutely defined it very clearly. Well, what did we do in this country? We did absolutely nothing about it. So thank goodness our friends across the Great Pond over in France and, and Europe, they are 20 years ahead of us in this country mm-hmm. in studying bioidentical yeah. hormones, the exact same molecular structure that we've had in our body since we were born. And why did were they interested in it? Because they saw the, the benefits of it. They did huge studies over there. There's a study that the French did called the Fournier study that was done some probably 10 or 12 years ago. It was um, in comparison, sort of like our Women's Health Initiative study, except it was done with good, correct, bioidentical hormones. And those 
the results that came out of that are just clearly, clearly out there so that if you make sure you've got the right ratio of progesterone to estrogen in a woman's body, you are decreasing her risk of breast cancer, decreasing her risk of heart attack and stroke, decreasing her risk of osteoporosis, and you are slowing down. And cognitive issues. Absolutely. And you're slowing down the age process a little bit. So it's a win-win situation across the board, but it's all about using the right chemicals. And one of the reasons why we're reluctant in this country to use the right chemicals, they were not commercially available. So I'm sorry. It goes back to our drug reps, our drug companies. They're very powerful lobbyists. They tell the AMA how to tell their doctors what the right prescription's for. I'm sorry, but that's the way it works in this country. So for a long, long time, we've been working hard to demystify this hormone scare that we've had. And there's just no such thing if you use the right hormones. And those are bioidentical hormones. And so talk more about that. What are, what are they, what is raw materials? The raw materials, yeah, from bioidenticals really come from either a plant source like, like yam or soy. And it's, and it's absolutely amazing because the, the molecular structure that's in yam and soy are very similar to all of the, what we call, what I refer to as the sex hormones, the estrogen, the progesterone, and the testosterone. There are chemicals in those plants that are chemically similar. So they're not exact. They're not exactly like we have. So we did have to take that, that plant substance into the lab and modify it a little bit, which a lot of people have a hard time understanding. Well, that just sounds to me like you're making a synthetic drug. You're not making a synthetic drug. You're creating a molecular structure that's exactly like the one in our body. So they are all originally derived from plant sources, although now we just copy them over in the lab. And you can, once you get the, the correct DNA composition for it, you just make it in the lab. And, but you make exactly the same molecular structure, and that's the key. And the key that I see with a lot of women that are not taking bioidenticals, and not all, but the, you know, and women that have passed menopause by 10 years, insomnia anxiety. Yes. And yes. that's that's a real real concern for me. It is. And you know, so many of our our women today who are premenopausal or starting to go into menopause mm-hmm. are also thinking about what their mom did. What what how did my mother react when she went through this? What did she do? And unfortunately, uh, she probably was given a synthetic drug back in those days, which made her not feel very well because those drugs had side effects with them and they had higher links to breast cancer and heart attack and stroke. So we, we do, we need to do a better job of educating people nowadays. And that's exactly what you're doing here with their podcast. And I appreciate it so much having the opportunity to talk about these things because we've got to get the word out to these women um, with, with women going through menopause, it, I, I tell people all the time, the difference between men and women is that when women are going through the change of life, the bells and whistles are going off and like crazy. They know something is going on. With men, it's just a subtle, subtle decline in the level of testosterone. Men's level peaks at about twenty, age of 27. And after that, we sort of trickle down every day and all of a sudden you wake up one 
morning as a man at the age of 55 and you just don't have the get up and go anymore and you think well this is just what it's like to, to be in the aging process and we still aren't educating again our patients and our physicians to check testosterone levels in men but at least in women the bells and whistles are going off so you women out there who are listening the bells and whistles are going off and they can easily be fixed with the proper balance of bioidentical hormones. And I feel that part of that picture too is making these lifestyle changes. I mean, it's important when you're seeing, I mean, studies are showing that women that have the, the vaso, um, vasomotor functions. So when they're having hot flashes and night sweats, these women, and if they're really persistent, mm-hmm. are at higher risk for cardiovascular disease. Mm-hmm. They are. But these women, we have to take a look at, also have insulin resistance. Mm-hmm. Correct. So when you start addressing blood sugar and mm-hmm. glucose and diet, and I've seen it repeatedly. I've had women come in to see me. They're just getting hot flashes every five to ten minutes. So when I have women experiencing... Um, or a recommendation I can make when I start seeing women experiencing really heavy hot flashes and night sweats. Some women do really well with Siberian Mm -hmm. rhubarb and giving it to them three times a day, Mm -hmm. maybe for a few weeks and then weaning them back down to a couple of times a week Mm -hmm. um, can, I mean, a couple of times a day can truly make a difference, but you have to look at blood sugar. You have to look at a lot of things. And you got to look at blood sugar. You you have to look at protein, mm-hmm. which is really mm-hmm. crucial as women go through menopause and their mm-hmm. estrogen declines. Mm-hmm. They also have a decline in muscle mm-hmm. mass. Yep. So increasing protein is really crucial. Huge. Mm-hmm. Huge. I mean, I probably eat more protein now than I've had in the past because I want to hold on to my muscle integrity Absolutely. and my bone integrity. It's very important. But um, and we've got to remember, Meg. You know, there are over thirty-five major hormones in the body. We we're yeah. thinking about. Uh, the sex hormones, as I call them, the estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, those are the three that we think about when we're trying to balance a lot of women. Mm -hmm. But the other two big phases that we try to look at when we're trying to decide what we can do to help that patient and that patient's physician decide what kind of medications they should be on, they need to always be thinking about cortisol levels, adrenal fatigue, uh, adrenal function, and they also need to be thinking about thyroid. So you've got the sex hormones, cortisol, and thyroid. Yeah, how are we buffering the stress? Those are just three big, huge areas that we've got to look at and make sure that the physician is looking at all three of those and and actually getting some numbers, getting some levels on all of those. They're easily measured, and the tests can be run really easily. Um, I've heard it said over and over again, cortisol is the most powerful hormone in the body. So we've got to start somewhere. And back in the old days, 20 years or so ago, I always felt like I could help really turn things around in women just by balancing their ratio of progesterone to estrogen. Since then, I've learned that cortisol is the most powerful hormone 
in our body, and it has to be regulated first. And cortisol has such a, an intertwining effect with thyroid, and thyroid has an intertwining effect with estrogen. So they all work like this great big huge huge orchestra, and everybody's got to work together on the same page to make this thing work right. And, you know, also being a practitioner of Chinese medicine and acupuncture, I, you know, I, acupuncture is profound mm -hmm. in addressing uh, cortisol, adrenal levels. We look at, you know, when a woman goes through menopause, there's a deficiency of yin. It's false mm -hmm. heat. We're seeing hot flashes and night sweats. But I find that when I couple acupuncture and I look at a woman's diet and I look at adaptogenic herbs, mm -hmm. it can be... Mm -hmm licorice and it can be ashwagandha, ashwagandha. Mm -hmm. which I so love. B vitamins mm -hmm. are crucial. Magnesium, teaching a woman how to breathe. I do a lot of breathing mm -hmm. with women. Mm -hmm. And finding, you know, just going for a walk mm -hmm. can mm -hmm. lower your cortisol levels. Absolutely. Really simple things. Yep. Getting up from your chair and making sure you're not eating lunch at your desk. Exactly. Go outside. Go some. Just really simple yeah. things. We we stay in this perpetual low grade chronic fight or flight response, mm -hmm. and I feel that this is also setting women up for having you know perimenopausal mm -hmm. symptoms in their earlier thirties. Absolutely, and we yeah. still you know women are still being told. We are still being told as practitioners that menopause for most women is still roughly at age fifty. I have a really hard time believing it because in our practice, we see so many women coming in in their mid-30s, late-30s with perimenopause. Their premenopausal symptoms are starting to occur. And the facts are that when and a woman between the age of 35 and 50, her progesterone level is going to decrease by 75%. And during that same time frame, during that same age, between 35 and 50, her estrogen level is going to drop by an average of about 35%. What does that mean? That means that that progesterone, huge, huge drop in progesterone, a slight drop in estrogen will make that woman what we call estrogen dominant. And estrogen dominance can really, really hurt women. And it's probably one of the major causes for them seeking some kind of treatment and therapy because if they're estrogen dominant, they feel terrible. And the reason I see a lot of estrogen dominance, and I see it in teenagers mm -hmm. having PMS, mm -hmm. I see it in women mm -hmm. in their 20s, I see it in women in their 20s and 30s, and, you know, some women I'm working with, and, you know, they're 40 and they're trying to get pregnant. Mm -hmm. It's not just this lowering, <clears throat> excuse me, of progesterone due to age. It's because of their blood sugar and, and um, their insulin levels. Mm -hmm. You know, when you have your blood sugars dipping and diving during the course of the day, I cannot say this enough. You're putting your body in a stress response and you're shunting that progesterone down stre mm -hmm. stress pathways. Exactly. Because it's the precursor to cortisol. Mm -hmm. So a question I have now and, and let me, I'll finish this. So what I do is I stabilize a woman's blood sugar 
by changing her diet, by mm -hmm. making sure she's on a low glycemic index diet, Perfect. eating foods that do not spike your insulin. So when I see women in their 30s and 40s and they have these little this little belly fat, mm -hmm. I know they're in, they've been insulin resistant mm -hmm. over the years. Mm -hmm. And it's catching up to them as they go through hormonal changes, mm -hmm. going into perimenopause and mm -hmm. menopause. And here's something interesting, too. I had a, a young gal, I don't know, maybe 27. She went off the pill, or 26, and was getting really warm at night. Mm -hmm. And I just made sure that I was supporting her progesterone. Absolutely. And I did, what did I put her on? I made sure that she was detoxing mm -hmm. hormone. Um, I put her on a formula called Dim Detox mm -hmm. okay. by yep. uh, Pure. Dim, Dim reduces the estrogen and, level. And it reduces the estrogen, the estrogen. And then I Absolutely. put her on some chaseberry and she mm -hmm. was fine. Absolutely. Great choice. But isn't that amazing? But I'm seeing that more and more. You'll get women that are starting to get warm at night and throwing the covers off and, and you know bra and breaking out into a sweat. Mm -hmm. The standard American diet and lifestyle is really burning out women's hormones. It's burning mm -hmm. out their adrenals. Mm -hmm. We're blowing out women's adrenals. Mm -hmm. It's impacting their cortisol levels. Um, if the standard American diet, I, I can't say it enough. It amazes me because our hormones are on this continuum from the first day that we have our first bleed until our last mm -hmm. bleed. And what influences that is how we eat, how we manage exactly. stress and I, and managing, looking at the microbiome, how are we detoxing, how are we being the best mothers to ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I've said to women, breathing, the most intimate experience you can ever have with yourself is with your breath. Mm -hmm. It is the first thing you take in and it's the last thing you let go. Mm -hmm. So anytime a woman is starting to feel anxious, or some anxiety, mm -hmm. and I do this a lot, I'm doing it more and more with clients, I just teach them how to breathe, just taking in a deep breath through the nose into the belly mm -hmm. and just exhaling that and very slowly, and just doing that five times can start lowering mm -hmm. a person's cortisol and taking them out of that fight or flight. And it's amazing, Meg, because most of what we've mentioned thus far, it's all about and our diets are probably cause of this, of course, way too much sugar in our diet. Yes. But everything that's going on, you know, with our diet and um, our, there's too much environmental estrogen mm -hmm. that, that is, surrounds us all the time and plastics and everything else. Yeah. But what we're doing to ourselves is we're creating an overload of inflammation in the body yes. and once you get an overload of inflammation in the body you are your, your body just physiologically does not know how to handle it you start throwing your body starts throwing these little cytokines they're called out there into the bloodstream these little inflammation markers and when your body sees those they think uh oh we have to send out the defense team against there out there to go get those so all of a sudden boom your body turns into an autoimmune response your body starts fighting itself and it's just yin and yang back and forth of who's going to win and it can all be so much 
more easily fixed if we, like you said, just kind of pay attention to what we're eating and and how we handle stress in our lives. It's hard. So, it's you know, stress handling hard and uh, or, or having stress and having adrenal fatigue, having too much cortisol in the system. Mm-hmm. Every textbook that you read, the number one thing it'll do is say find a way to reduce the stress in your life. You've mentioned a couple of ways that you talk your your patients how to do with that. Most people don't think about those simple things. They really don't. But you've got to find a way to try to reduce the stress, whether it's meditation or prayer or yoga, whatever it might be. You've got to find a way to reduce the stress. Then you've got to maybe talk about, talk to someone who knows a little bit about adaptogenic herbs, things that can help. And acupuncture. And acupuncture, you're exactly right. <laughs> Things that can help kind they of fortify really the adrenals and give, give them a little bit of their immune system of their own so they are able to help us. The adrenal glands are two little tiny glands over our kidneys, and they are very, very important to uh, quality of life. Well, another point, too, and I'm so glad you brought up inflammation because I was going to kind of enter that that territory I'm, you know, for me, and I'm sure you you know this, it's so important for women to have a healthy BMI Mm -hmm. because, you know, what drives inflammation, the the more Oedipus tissue, the the higher the BMI for a woman, and we're talking about anything above uh, 30% BMI is obesity, I want to make sure that women are getting close to 25 mm-hmm. right. because there's an enzyme in the fatty tissue called aromatase. And mm. what this does, it drives um, estrogen. It converts androgens into estrogen. Mm-hmm. So what happens is these women are holding on to excess estrogens Absolutely. and not great ones. Not great and ones. this can contribute to cancers. So that is why when I, you know, I want to make sure that, and I respect every woman for wanting to be healthy and strong, but we have to bring down that body mass. Absolutely. Got to get rid of the body fat. That body fat is storing estrogen like crazy. And there's so many times when we test women who, when they come into to our practice and we test their levels, uh, their estrogen levels are really Okay. I mean, their progesterone level is usually tanked out. Their testosterone level, it's kind of in the middle somewhere. But that estrogen level, if they are overweight, is going to be high because of that storage of estrogen and fat. So it's, it's just huge, hugely important that women take care of themselves. So when you have women and you're seeing elevated estrogen and you'll do a saliva panel because Correct. saliva, and mm-hmm. I want you to talk about that. Um, and I've had, you know, different opinions on this. A lot of times, you know, a lot of doctors don't want to give estrogen. They want to get that woman to get her weight down. Mm-hmm. And I agree with that. Mm-hmm. So how do you? Well, we're looking at that from a balanced perspective because what the Europeans have taught us, again, with balancing hormones is that we want a four 
to one ratio of progesterone to estradiol. Estradiol, We have three estrogens in our body, estradiol being the most potent, not the one that we have the most of. That would actually be estriol, but estradiol is the most potent one. And that happened to be the one that the, the drug, the chemical companies, when they started elucidating estrogens in this country and finally out trying to figure out what women had in their bodies way back in the 50s and 60s, they knew we had these three estrogens. We had estradiol, estriol, and estrone. Once the chemical companies figured out that estradiol was the most potent uh, estrogen in a woman's body, that's the one they ran with. That's the one they started making commercially available products with. They sort of forgot about the other two. Thank goodness our friends in in, uh, Europe didn't. They actually dug a little deeper, and they actually found out that estriol, even though it is a very weak estrogen, we have more estriol in, in actually concentration in a woman's body. It is actually the best estrogen as a protective for breast cancer. And the Europeans also taught us that estrone is the most cancer-causing estrogen in a woman's body. So it's real easy to see which estrogens we need to use and which ones we need to stay away from. I'm as guilty as anybody when I started doing this 20 years or so ago. I was trying to copy exactly what was in a woman's body, and we were giving women triestrogen. We were trying to replace all three of their estrogens. Then the studies came out of Europe about estrone being not so good, not having all those qualities of being protective at all, so we started leaving it out. So now most women are getting a mixture of that we call bi-estrogen or bi-est, two estrogens. And those two estrogens are estradiol and estriol. Now it's kind of, um, to me, a little bit amusing that estriol has never been FDA approved in this country. That just makes me sick to my stomach to have to say that. Here we've got the most cancer-protective estrogen in a woman's body. It has never been FDA-approved in this country. So Why? um, Because the the drug companies never depended on it. They they went with estradiol because they knew it was the most potent one. They put all their research and development in estradiol and didn't bother to research estriol. Really sad, but again, driven by big pharma, I'm afraid, on that that end of it. So talk about the importance of balancing it with progesterone. Balancing, Why? yes, balancing it with progesterone. So the, the European studies are the ones that we are really going by, and we're going with their studies because those studies have been ripped apart by some very, very smart people in in this country. And those stu- the study data is there, and it makes really good sense. So again, I mentioned earlier, we want four times, we want a woman to have four times more progesterone circulating in her bloodstream than estrogen or estradiol. If we can achieve that balance, that's really what's going to make her not only feel better, but improve her long-term health. And the big ones, 
Sleep. And the big ones. Oh, anxiety. sleep, anxiety, anxiety, irritability, mood swings. Oh, uh, it, the Libido. list just goes on and on and on. And you're right. A lot of women, as they start to go through menopause, their testosterone levels will actually rise. So you'll have a lot of women say, you know, my all of a sudden my libido is back. My sex drive is back a little bit. And that happens in some women. But more times than not, if, if that woman's ratio of progesterone to estrogen is not where it should be, testosterone will try to jump into the mix there and try to fix things. And testosterone cannot fix things on its own because of this little protein-bound globulin we have floating around in our bloodstream called the sex hormone-binding globulin. That little protein floating around in there grabs a hold of the testosterone molecule and it makes it so big, if you can think about a key fitting into a lock, that testosterone molecule all of a sudden won't fit into the lock anymore because it's bound to that big old huge globulin called SHBG. And it won't fit into the lock and the testosterone's floating around in the bloodstream there, but it's not effective because it can't hit the receptor site. So we see that so many times in women, but more times than not, their libido is, their sex drive is just down because, again, going back to improving that ratio of progesterone uh, to estrogen, that's where you've got to get the estrogen dominance under control and make sure she has plenty of progesterone in there, very protective uh, for breast cancer and heart attack and stroke. And even the cardio, I, I keep saying to my cardiology friends, please start writing prescriptions for bioidentical hormones for your patients. We've been taught all these years that hormones are bad for women's hearts. That is the biggest fallacy in the world. They are if they're synthetic hormones. If they're bioidentical hormones, they are the best thing in the world you can give for a women's heart. Another issue that I see a lot of, and we, we kind of, maybe we can tap into it, may have to have you, have you back, see more thyroid issues mm, as women please. start transitioning. Yeah, and there are a couple and, points, Meg, if I can make real quickly, yeah, I, it, just if we have time. Some really important facts that I want to make sure that we get mm. clear out there. Number one, women should never, ever be taking estrogen orally. Uh, estradiol has been available orally all the time. We actually compounded at my pharmacy in oral form, but the truth of the matter is when oral estrogen goes to the liver, it gets broken down to metabolites that can be harmful for women long-term. So the alternative is to use it topically, push it through the skin, and avoid it going through the gut and the liver on first pass. The second big thing we need to remember is that women should never be prescribed estrogen only without with, not without giving them progesterone we are still teaching our our people in medical school today especially our on obgyn a woman has issues um, she has a hysterectomy they take her uterus out the doctor immediately puts her on estrogen and looks at her and says you don't have to worry about taking progesterone anymore because you don't have a uterus and what he or she is referring to by that 
that is if you were to give that woman, if she had her uterus and were to give her estrogen only, the lining of her uterus would get thicker. It would grow, 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 because that's what estrogen tells the cells to do. Progesterone acts like a natural anti-estrogen. It tells that cell growth to calm down and stop getting carried away with all this cell growth because it's that rapid turnover of cells that all of a sudden you spin off into a little mutation that all of a sudden becomes a precancer and the next thing you've got is a tumor or a cancerous tumor possibly going on there. So you, even though a woman doesn't have a uterus, she has tissue all over her body that is very similar to the tissue that she had in her uterus. Her breast tissue especially needs to be protected just like her uterine tissue does. So please, women out there, do not take estrogen alone. You, if you're on estrogen therapy of any kind, you should be balancing it. Ask your doctor about balancing with some type of protein progesterone. We talked earlier about the huge difference between progesterone and progestins. Make sure out there if you're taking pro that you are taking bioidentical progesterone. That is really, really key. And again, we talked about the ratio, uh, lastly, the ratio, four times more progesterone. You've got to get some levels there. I know we talked briefly mm -hmm. about how you get those levels. Um, if a woman is not on any kind of hormone therapy and she wants to have her levels checked, it's perfectly okay to have venous blood draws, just like most physicians will do. Or you can do saliva testing. In the initial phase, when that woman is not on any hormone therapy, either one is just as good as the other as far as accuracy goes. Once that woman goes on estrogen therapy, hopefully topical estrogen or sublingual estrogen therapy, so we're bypassing the liver again, once she goes on that, that topical therapy, then saliva testing is the most accurate way because you want to get your level at the, the, the level of the estrogen progesterone at, from the tissue level and that's where saliva is coming out of the salivary gland you're getting at the tissue level or you can prick your your finger again you're getting it from your hormone level from the tissue level and that's what's really really important to know exactly what those numbers are okay i am going to ask i was on um I was triest. on the tri uh, no, triest. No, well, I, let's go to the, yes, I mm. was on triest. Mm. We went to biest. Mm -hmm. We went to a cream. It did not work for me. Mm -hmm. And my sister doesn't do well with creams. We do better with oral estrogen. Mm -hmm. I'm also taking progesterone too. But, um, Talk so, about yeah. that. So we do see, you know, we you, the great thing about compounding, uh, Meg, is that there if something, if one particular dosage form doesn't work, chances are we can find another dosage form that will. So, I mean, that's the great. And there are unlimited, you know, milligram strengths that you can make out there in the marketplace for estri oral estrogen. There are three choices for oral progesterone. There are two choices in milligram strengths. So the drug companies expect every woman in this country to fit those 
two or three milligram doses. I'm sorry, that's just ridiculous. Every person is as individual as our fingerprints, and they have to be treated that way from a standpoint of dosing and how their body is going to metabolize and absorb these hormones. It's, and that's something that we literally do not know sometimes until we give them yeah. the hormones and then test them and retest them and see how their bodies are handling those things. But just like you, I have a lot of patients who do really much, much better on oral. But I will tell you, right out of the gate, we really want to go, if we can, we want to right. go transdermal or sublingual. You can, we make little thing, little lozenges called trochies. Uh, you can put things in little oil drops, and you can put them under your tongue. A trochie is a little lozenge that you dissolve under your tongue. It's just a great way to get that hormone absorbed directly into the bloodstream right out of the oral cavity without it going through the gut without it going through the liver on first pass. Now, that's really, really important with estrogen because estrogen, oral estrogen can do a lot of bad things, as we talked about for women. Increasing blood pressure, increase in triglycerides, increase in estrone, the harmful estrogen, increase in the occurrence of gallstones, increase in liver enzymes, interruption of tryptophan metabolism, and consequently serotonin metabolism your sleep helpers that yeah. help you get some rest. It, oral estrogen sometimes lowers growth hormone levels, and you have an increase usually in carbohydrate cravings when you're on oral estrogen. So a lot of reasons there that we really try to get women on to to transdermal or sublingual estrogens if we can. Not so much the case with progesterone. Progesterone is a very unique hormone in that it can be taken either orally or topically or sublingually. The, the big difference is when you take progesterone, when a woman takes progesterone orally, we have an enzyme in our gut that actually turns that progesterone into a metabolite that just happens to make her sleepy. It's a side effect of taking oral progesterone. We use that side effect sometimes to our advantage because one of the big <laughs> symptoms that a lot of women have is insomnia. They cannot get right. fall asleep. They cannot stay asleep. So it's sometimes very helpful to use oral progesterone because we know it's probably going to make her drowsy on the very first dose that she takes. We counsel them that night. She goes home on the first dose. She'll probably sleep better that very night. And hopefully some of that will kind of linger around in her body for the next day and help actually help her get through the day uh, with being quite so not so you know much stressed out it'll help with irritability with some of the mm -hmm. mood swings so there's a huge advantage yeah, sometimes calming. to oral progesterone it's very calming kim thank you so much for pleasure, being here babe. on the hormone for, lifestyle zone we're gonna have to have them come back thanks for having that me look was, forward to coming back this, thank you this was really awesome so, uh, Kim, you are at Pitt Street Pharmacy in Mount Pleasant. People can find you there. And do you also work with uh, filling prescriptions for people with bioidenticals around the country, too? We do a little bit out of the, uh, around the country. Uh, we, most of what we do is inside the state of South Carolina. Uh, there's some 
regulatory issues with shipping things into other states. Uh, they're not crazy about doing that, but we have patience. Uh, you don't necessarily just have to live uh, in and around Pitt Street Pharmacy. We have patients all over the state of South Carolina uh, because there are not a great number of compounding pharmacies everywhere. There are a lot of compounding pharmacies in, uh, all over the state, but not a lot of them really specialize in doing bioidentical hormone replacement like we do. We, we like to think of ourselves as the experts in BHRT. We've been doing it longer than anybody else in the low country, well over 20 20 years. Uh, we've helped educate a lot of physicians about how to write those prescriptions. We make sure those patients are having follow-up exams and having their levels checked at least once a year, making sure we've got those right ratios there. Well, thank you. And uh, I want to thank everyone for listening in today. I hope that was really helpful. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me. You can reach me through my website at megrucici.com. And if you'd like to follow my other podcast, you can uh, listen in on iTunes or um, Spotify. Feel free to leave a good review or subscribe. And I am really looking forward to my guest in a few weeks, Alina McLerklin. She is a sex therapist, and we're going to talk about what's not happening in the bedroom. What can we do to create more intimacy inside and outside the bedroom walls? I want to wish everyone an awesome day. Be good to yourself and take good care.